Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room. Adam, what? We we don't have time to talk about X Men, the Danger, Uncanny, whatever that is. Who is this? (laughs) Is there somebody else here? Star Wars just came out like a three days ago. Wasn't it awesome? I guess so. (laughs) Didn't you see it like seven times? Probably. And weren't you like, oh my God, I can't believe when that thing happened. Most likely. I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you remember when the thing happened to the guy? I sort of. And the ship flew? Oh man. I remember that from the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) And don't you remember the lightsabers? Man, I that was that was bar none, Adam. The very best Star Wars movie I've ever seen. I I, I have, uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> okay, <laughs> don't you want to spoil everything for our listeners and just skip this whole silly X Men thing? Uh, I I'm curious as to how long you could go with this. <laughs> well, I could tell you what happens to Luke. Now, let me tell you, that was some pretty crazy stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't you remember what happened, right? Oh, oh yeah, I remember. With with Luke and Chewbacca and Han, remember? Yeah, and and, uh, and Kylo Ren. Nothing will ever be the same. And Ray. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was her name, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Um, don't don't you just want to go out and buy all of the toys now? They were they were out before the movie came out. You, oh, so like you you want to buy them now that you've seen the movie seven times? Exactly. Like before this, I was like, I don't care about Star Wars. Star Wars is done, passe. But after seeing this movie, I want, I want every piece of uh, toy memorabilia. And I actually I want to go back to the old toys because not not like the old old toys, but like the episode one, two, and three because I thought it was brilliant how they folded all of the events. Uh, I mean, who knew that Boss Naz was going to be in Episode 7? Especially as that new character. Look, Adam, we're beyond that by this point. Boss Naz is the new emperor. All right, fair enough. (laughs) Look, I didn't want to spoil it, but but we did say that we were going to talk about Star Wars a little bit. And the fact that they brought Jar Jar into it and the way that they brought Jar Jar into it was just... Oh, my cinematic masterpiece. It really makes those earlier George Lucas, the episodes ones, two, and three, like really, 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 really work. I couldn't believe it. How do you even remember the name Boss Nass? (laughs) Well, after watching episode seven, he was such an influential character that how could you not remember him? Oh, right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Especially when Jar Jar said, yes, Emperor Boss Nass. Yeah. Okay. Did you did you rewatch episode one? Yeah, it, look, it it still is kind of a little weak on story and plot and all that sort of stuff. But but when you factor into what you saw in episode seven and you really think about those events while you watch episode one, oh my god, oh my god, I can't even explain. Like like George Lucas knew knew this the whole time and he was just playing with us. All of us that said these three original movies are no good, he knew he knew that. Like as soon as Disney got it and made episode seven, they were going to implement his ideas and really make make those movies special and come to life. Okay. <laughs> Don't you remember all that, Adam? Uh Adam, were you even watching the movie? I I may have fallen asleep. Oh, for God's sake. All right. I can't even talk. Let's just do the stupid <laughs> X-Men thing. Okay. Can I go? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, where was I? Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. 
And I'm Emperor Boss Naz. Is that like a rumor you read on somewhere? No, Adam. Didn't you watch the movie? God. I told you I fell asleep. <laughs> Clearly. All right, fine. I'll be done talking about the most awesomest movie-going experience ever. Ah, Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Give me the Star Wars. Don't let them How about that nutty Star Wars bar? Can you forget all the creatures in there? And hey, Darth Vader in that black and evil mask. Did he scare you as much as he scared me? Ah, Star Wars! Those near in Star Wars! My seventh winner up here! Star Wars! And we're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 179, the March 1984 issue, on sale December 6th of 1983. Hey, we're in the we're in the same time frame as the the, the, the day that the comic came out. We're in December, and they're in December. This one was 60 cents, and it's titled, What Happened to Kitty? What happened to Kitty, Jeremy? What, in fact, did happen to Kitty? Well, I'll tell you one thing. She didn't see episode seven like we did. Well, this was in the 80s. Oh, she probably just saw Empire Strikes Back. No, probably Return of the Jedi. Did, didn't that, when did that come out? Does that come out in 82? No, or let's see. It's, it's 77, 80, and 83, I think, isn't it? I think Return oh, of the Jedi yeah. comes out in 83. All right. So then, yeah, she, she just did see it. Well, maybe she did. I don't know. Last we saw, she was dead. Oh, right. So, well, according to the cover of this comic book, anyways, she's getting married to Caliban. And uh, Caliban is looking a lot trimmer than he did in, when he had his first appearance. It's true. He has never looked that way again. <laughs> this is the best John Romita Jr. cover yet. It's pretty good. I'll give you that. It's definitely pretty good. The book on the front. He's not, he's not a very good uh, uh, cover artist. And uh, this, is, this is a vast improvement. Mm-hmm. The uh, book on the front, in front of Kitty and Caliban, says Morlock Law, Ceremony of Marriage. So, it's happening. Remember it that, is. Remember that promise she made that she freaking broke? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that, yeah, that'll come into play. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently somebody's coming to collect on that, that payment of lying. She's crying. Do you think she's lying, uh, crying because she's sad or because she's happy? Her eyes say crying with happiness, but her mouth says, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> Caliban looks pretty sad, too. Uh, he looks pretty, I don't know. I think he looks kind of happy. Really? <laughs> I can see it either way. He's got big frog eyes. I don't know. He just looks like, I, if, I, if I stare at his face long enough, I can see that he's thinking, wait, do I really want to get married? This is quite a commitment I'm leading myself into. Am I going to be able to support this woman in 20 years? No more Bachelor Caliban. What about the late night playing games with the boys? Are we going to have babies? (laughs) (laughs) Will I I be able to afford their colleges? (laughs) Yeah. So we open this thing up here. uh, do Do you remember The Graduate? You know what, Adam? I've never actually seen The Graduate. What? Yeah, I know. Well, can I can I spoil the end? <laughs> sure. So at the end of the movie, they're on a bus. I'm not going to tell you 
how they got on a bus. Okay. Astute listeners and fans of The Graduate will know what I'm talking about. But the the camera holds on them for too long and you get all these this range of emotions in them because they 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 didn't know what to do. And it's actually uh the director didn't tell them he was going to do that. So you kind of get an honest reaction to not knowing how to fill the time, which worked really well for that particular scene. That's what this reminds me of. Okay. I should check that movie out. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. Really? Yeah, it's like, if, if you like coming-of-age stories, that's the one. Adam, let me tell you about a coming-of-age story. It's called X-Men The Force Awakens. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, Jeremy, you promised. Oh, sorry. <sighs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so let's open this thing up and not talk about Star Wars, but let's talk about how they are in uh, the Morlock Tunnels. Bunch of Morlocks dragging Kitty up to, uh, I don't know, a stage of sorts. It's Callisto basically presenting uh, Kitty to her new Morlock family. Well, we don't know it's Kitty quite yet. I suppose. But we just saw the cover. And the first page, all we see is her back. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird. I don't know why they're doing this if the cover reveals it. It's almost like one of those instances where the cover is just not on track with what's going on. Yeah. You know, this maybe the cover would have worked better if it was like a backshot silhouette of just two people getting married. Yeah, nobody would have bought that. <laughs> we like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Some romance uh, magazine? Yeah. So anyways, uh, the, the her hair's getting brushed and she's getting all dolled up for her wedding. And then we turn the page and we get a full page spread of Kitty in her Morlock wedding dress. She's very ragged. She's got, uh, she's got those garter socks on now she's 14 right yeah yeah i had to keep reminding myself that <laughs> they don't draw her like a 14 year old yeah this is just weird it's very weird with her lacy garter belts and mm-hmm. i don't know if it, this flies in in modern comics does it oh it does because they still skew the ages of people like like 14 year old we don't we don't think of like she as long as she's not drawn like a 14 year old it's hard for us to uh, reconcile the fact that she is a 14 year old and that this is kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. So this is a weird, it's a weird little dichotomy. I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. Me neither. Uh, Chris Claremont is the writer. John Romita jr. And Dan green are the artists. Is this the first Dan green? I believe it is the first Dan green. He will be on this book for a while. He may have inked some of those classic X-Men, but, but this is his well, first yeah. in canon uh, ink job, as far as I can recall. Tom Morzakowski's lettering, Glennis Ween is coloring, Luis Jones is editing, and Jim Heem, Heem, Shooter is the editor-in-chief. He saw episode seven. Oh, my God. He was there in the audience. No, he wasn't. I, I just made that part up. But the rest of everything I just said is true. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Lovett was there. Yeah, was he? Yeah, he dressed up as Yoda. Oh, that's right. <laughs> he was so cute walking around on his knees. Yep. At the hospital, the X-Men are in the morgue, and they're checking out uh, the body. They're here to identify the body. And then we get a very somber panel of Wolverine with his eyes covered by his hat, and he just says, yup. We're here to identify a body. You got Storm, you got Rogue, and you got Wolverine. And so the doctor, uh, mortician, I suppose, pulls out the body and says, hey, do you know this person? She can't even be 16. Her name is Kitty Pride. She was not yet 15. So just as you said, she's 14 years old. 
Yeah. For the recognize or for the record, do you recognize her? Her name is Kitty Pride. They're all kind of sad. Storm is thinking, how could this happen? And why was she at the Baxter building? This doesn't make any sense. And the uh, the lightning outside uh, air, uh, gets gets. There's a there's a mysterious storm which uh, we're assuming is responding to Storm's emotional state. Yeah. Even the mortician guy here. Uh, comments that, wow, what's going on upstairs? Storm came out of nowhere. And suddenly Wolverine's all like, why don't you get out of here and go take a look? I got to talk to my friends. Well, I don't normally do that. Do it. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If I stall a little, maybe they'll be gone when I get back. I sure hope so. And that's when Wolverine drops a bombshell. This ain't Kitty. What? Wolverine, you crazy, says Rogue. Maybe, but I'm also right. The kid may have Kitty's face and outfit. She may be a perfect match right down to finger and retinal prints, but not her. Sense wrong. Huh? Oh. Are you certain, Logan? Says, Duh. <laughs> says Storm. <laughs> I'm going to question you. Yeah. So they, they realize very quickly that um, somebody must have been tricking them to believe that Kitty is dead. They, they consider that maybe it has something to do with the Brotherhood of Evil, Evil Mutants. Well, they say that uh, uh, perhaps uh, we would bury her more, more in her, perhaps even hunt down the Brotherhood of Mutants in the mistaken belief that they were responsible, which is, yeah, I mean, that's possible. But I don't think the culprits had any idea that they were fighting the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. The plan would have worked, too, says Storm, save that they never met Wolverine, never reckoned with his enhanced senses. Hmm, clue. <laughs> So somebody doesn't want the X-Men to know that Kitty has gone missing. Somebody who's never met Wolverine. Mm. Mm. Who could that be? And have mm. we already seen them in this comic book? Mm. <laughs> this would have been much better if they wouldn't have had that first couple of pages and if they wouldn't have had the cover the way they did. And then it could have been like a true mystery. Because this, like, yeah. this is like three years. Well, I suppose we did see Callisto and Mask. Uh, Man, they should have just rewrote this whole thing. Well, no, the Callisto and Mask thing was, it was not entirely a dead giveaway. Yeah, it was pretty obvious. Yeah. But. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't spell it out, but, you know, okay. Yeah. So here's here's what I would suggest is that it's too late now, but if they ever give me a a comic and they say, Jeremy, we want you to retcon your favorite stories, I won't choose this one. But, But if I did, I would... Go back to that issue where those Morlocks were standing over the body, and I would just show them from the feet up and have them having their conversation. That's kind of confusing, and then I wouldn't do the first two pages here so that this whole issue, well, not this whole issue, but a good half to two-thirds of this issue could just be kind of a mystery because we know that Kitty made the promise, but that was quite a while ago. We could have forgotten, so that would have been cooler. You know what story I would retcon? Days of Future Past. Star Wars Episode Seven. Oh, what would you do? Would you take Boss Naz out of the Emperor role? That whole scene where that stormtrooper guy was eating a pizza, unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, that was a little egregious. You're like, okay, we get it, move on, next scene, but they just kept... It didn't have to go on for a half hour, I mean, uh, Well, you know, it, it wasn't a half, it felt like a half an hour, but it wasn't a half hour, Adam. It, was, it did look like a tasty pizza, but I'm pretty sure it was a CGI pizza. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was. You, the shadows didn't quite line up right on the pepperonis. It was, it was really weird. Yeah. Yeah, and every time he took a bite, there was still more pizza. So they clearly didn't get the effects finished on that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe in episode eight we'll find out what was going on with that pizza because they didn't really explain it all that much. Probably. I mean, they made it some sort of critical element to the story. Yeah. You don't hang on a scene like that for so long without it meaning something. Yeah. 
And then the whole the delivery boy sequence, like, I don't know. It's like that delivery boy had better become a major character in this. Otherwise, we wasted a lot of time. Yeah, but did you notice that his little space delivery motor scooter looks suspiciously like a miniature Slave 1? Oh, now yeah, that you mention it. Yeah. Mm. I'm wondering if this is Boba Fett's son. So you hmm. think this is like maybe the Slave 3? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. The mini Slave. Hmm. Well, back at the mansion, the uh, the X-Men's doctor, not Moira McTaggart, but Nightcrawler, is examining the petrified uh, Colossus, which is, I don't know, kind of stupid. Yep, it's stone. <laughs> I don't know why they're asking me to do this. He's totally screwed. Um, <laughs> can't hear a heartbeat? Don't know if I could. He's made out of metal. Why am I doing this? <laughs> I was in this circus. <sighs> Stop making me the doctor. I really have not learned anything. (laughs) Well, maybe, actually, Jeremy, is it possible that the professor mind-forced Nightcrawler to think he's a doctor? That is entirely possible. And so he's been doing all this doctoring, reading reading about doctors and, and learning to be a doctor and stuff. I mean, we do know that in uh, Giant-Sized X-Men number one, the professor implanted English into all of the uh, team's heads so that they would be able to communicate with each other. So it's possible that if the professor knew anything from dating Moira about physiology and other doctory stuff, he could have implanted that in Nightcrawler. And didn't he also teach Kitty Russian in her sleep or something? Something like that, yeah. Maybe. Or maybe the professor has... uh, mind wipe Nightcrawler uh, so that he believes that he can actually do these doctory things. And as soon as he leaves, the professor's like, yeah, we just like to humor him. <laughs> this 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 boy's really screwed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Colossus is, in fact, in a world of hurt. Uh, Ilyana's yeah. in the room. She's not very happy about this. As is Amanda Sefton. He's uh, trying to mind probe uh, Colossus to see if there's any... Um, signs of thought, but he can't find anything. Amanda Sefton not looking so hot. No. From last issue. No. Not sure what happened. Mm-hmm. It's like John Romita forgot how to draw her. Yeah, he looks like, or she looks like a um, librarian now rather than a sorceress. I thought it was Moira McTaggart at first, or or somebody else, but yeah, no. So yeah, Ileana, she's even thinking to herself, poor Kurt. He loves Peter so he would do anything to save him. He cannot accept this time or that this time that there may not be anything he can do. Because you're thinking that like, oh my God, Yolanda's the one that's going to take this hardest. But she goes on to think, it's easier for me. Death and I are old friends. I saw other incarnations of the X-Men slain in Belasco's demonic limbo when I was a child. And I killed the two I cared for most. Woo! See magics number one through four. Uh, Side note, magic is happening at the same time as this comic book adam are we gonna cover magic ever we are oh my goodness listeners stay tuned for that i believe issue three it was published at the same time as uncanny x-men number 179 i'm not i'm not 100 on that but i know they're they are being published and i don't know if they're monthly or bi-month i presume they're monthly sure sure so and also x-men versus the micronauts is also being published at this time oh are we gonna cover that too we are can you imagine if I if I was an X Men reader at this time in the eighties and I had to buy all these books? I would be so annoyed. Nowadays, it's like second hand. You just go out and you buy like six X books and you're like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but back then, 
To have to buy three books? Oh man. At sixty cents a piece though, that's not that bad. Today it's like three ninety nine and four ninety nine a pop. Sixty cents in the eighties was like three ninety nine or four dollars a pop. In nineteen eighty seven my allowance was three dollars a week. I could have easily afforded that. Of course comics were seventy five cents, but still well within my comic budget. I suppose. So Heck. But then you wouldn't have had any money for like a soda pop. And even if your allowance in 1983 was a there's four weeks in a month you could easily pick up all of your titles with that money and still have money left over for soda and candy bars, candy cigarettes. Oh, and candy cigarettes for sure. Remember those the little pink things? Candy cigarettes and candy hookers. Remember them? Yeah, they were the best kind of hookers. <laughs> Well, Storm reaches out to the professor via their psi-link that they always maintain, right? Professor, can you hear me? Wolverine says Kitty's not dead. What? Says the professor. <laughs> in his mind. The professor has a really big brain in this panel. Yeah. Storm is growing out of his head here. It's very odd. I mean, I see what they were trying to go for, but he really has like a Watcher-esque sized head here. Yeah, it didn't really work <laughs> what nope. they were trying to do. Not at all. And that's when he stops to scream, Yarg! Yep, and a classic Wilhelm scream. His mind is suddenly overwhelmed by a massive, irresistible blast of psychic energy. The uh, Nightcrawler, oh wow, the, the shock of is so great, he loses control of his telepathic powers, spraying the infirmary with cybolts capable of instantly frying the brain of whoever they strike. Luckily, they don't strike anyone, because that would be intense. How does anybody know that they're capable? Like, if I was Nightcrawler or Ilyana or Amanda Sefton... And I saw these cybolts going across the room. I wouldn't be like, ah, those things are going to fry me. Well, when you're an X-Man, you get used to a lot of things like this. This is something completely new from the professor. He's never struck out with cybolts that could fry the brain of people. Anyway, Nightcrawler teleports to his teacher's side. And uh, I'm not really sure. Hey, professor, get a hold of yourself before you kill us all. But how does he know? How does he know it's going to kill them all? I don't know. He can see the cybolts. Did he read the caption? He looked up and he's like, oh, that looks very serious. <laughs> this is how I learned how to be a doctor. I just read the captions. Scanning wave of extraterrestrial origin. Encountered it before. Unable to pinpoint its source. Focuses on me. Don't know why. Won't respond to. My attempts to make contact. Its force increasing with each encounter. Effects more debilitating. Unable to defend myself. Faint. He does. So uh, they they need to get him into a life support cell. So they grab him. I've got to wound Storm through our radio comlink, but of what? Is this another attack by some new foe? What is happening? What does this mean? Is do, you know it, what the, do you know what this is? I hope it's the Beyonder. I think it's the Beyonder. Sweet. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I do know that this same attack occurs in New Mutants number 13. And I think, isn't uh, uh, Secret Wars like right around the corner? It is. Yeah. In fact, well, it's it's only a few episodes away. We'll put it that way. I have never actually read, I've never actually read Secret Wars. Neither have I. So that'll be something. I've skimmed it. I think there's a lot of not X-Men in Secret Wars. Not sure how we're going to handle it, but you know. We're not there yet, so yeah. we've got time. Elsewhere. Not much time. <laughs> time. Elsewhere, Kitty is in a magnificent, I don't know, cathedral or chapel or something. Her dress is no longer torn, and she's looking very serene. 
Yeah, she's got uh, 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 one of those things that goes on your head. <laughs> What's that thing called? Uh, a veil? No. It's not a headband. It's a more elegant word for headband. A tiara. A cloth tiara. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Morlocks are no longer Morlockian. They are in top hats and suits. Well, they are and they aren't, because in the first panel they are, and then the next panel they're not, but then they're still in top hats and suits. It's weird. Well, like Cal- Callisto and Sunder and Mask are all in pretty Morlocky. Well, I but think everybody else isn't. I think what's happening is some some mutant, perhaps in the Morlock tunnels, is playing a mind trick on her because everything's glamorous, but as we go, things become less and less glamorous, right? Like Callisto, Sunder, and Mask. And then as the magnificent man in the captain's hat walks down the stairs, he has a suit on, but you can see that his uh, legs are bound up with, I don't know, Morlock-type clothes. And then as he reveals himself to her, it turns out that it is um, Caliban. And then... The illusion completely disappears, and she realizes that she is in the Morlock tunnels, and all of the Morlocks are surrounding her. There's no top hats, there's no suits, and there's no arches. What? Get away from me! Kitty, right, don't! So she's she she wants to get out of here, but for some reason she can't phase. Which oh, is yeah. weird. Uh, I'm in the alley, but how did I get here? I don't remember. I was on the Baxter building. Hm, sucks. Come here, kid. That Sunder grabs her, kind of pushes her down in front of Callisto, and that's when Callisto says, uh, you're dead. Well, <laughs> everybody thinks you're dead, and you have a promise that you need to upheld, uphold. What? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Damn. Well, did you promise? Yes. And did he carry out his part of the bargain? Yes. Oh, so this is what they mean by responsibility. <laughs> I don't like it. Now, pretty Caliban pre- disgusts her, says Caliban. And uh, Callisto likes this. How wonderful the pain, or the, the more, more painful. painful this is for her, the sweeter my revenge. So she's plotting something. Yeah, she is. And that's when Kitty remembers Colossus. He's frozen uh, like stone. And, and she's like, oh, you got to let me go. I got to save Peter. But, but then I'll come back. And Callisto's like, you promise? She says, yes. You give your word, yes. Well, that's what you said last time. I don't know if I'm going to believe you this time. No, she says, and she runs away. They didn't try to stop me. They probably figured they didn't have to. I didn't recognize these tunnels. Hardly surprising since I was sick that last time. And then that other time when I was babysitting, that was a whole different segment. <laughs> we don't talk about that, though. I met Spider-Man. I didn't see much. I didn't pay attention. Why should I? I didn't think I was coming back. So she runs and she runs and she, uh, uh, she, well, I don't know, runs into some like rat eyes, which scare her. And so she's not paying attention. So she trips over some wood, falls into my a- ankle. Murgleflurf. <laughs> she's her ankles twisted, and now she's kind of crawling herself uh, away. But then some she- X-Man. I am some. Person, that's a kind of a weird bit of dialogue. She's mad. She's disappointed in herself. She's like, I made a promise to Caliban, and I went back on it. He trusted me with his heart. I didn't ask him to succeed, only to try. I didn't figure he would succeed. I'm a jerk. <laughs> and then somebody, <gasps> in, 
somebody in the distance is coming. A little figure with an oblong head who walks up and says, Lost, lonely, scared. He talking about himself or me? He's so ugly. He has to be a Morlock. He sounds awfully young. And without saying any words, he just grabs her hand and walks her back to the alley. Caliban wants to marry a 14-year-old. Well. That's my whole problem with this thing. The heart <laughs> wants what the heart wants, Adam. The heart should wait. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Welcome home, says Callisto. Uh, I knew you'd stay here. Or actually, Kitty says, I gave my word. I guess I'll keep it. Is Caliban also 14? Maybe. We don't know how that, old he is. That could make sense, sort of, in some twisted kind of way. I'm guessing he's more like 18 or 19. So he's Colossus's age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and so she says, look, I'll stay here, but please, if there's anything you can do to save Colossus, can you do it? No need for us, for you to beg us, sweet sister. You're one of us, and the Morlocks look after their own. Make yourself useful, Leech. Find the healer. Le <laughs> Leech is the and little... So that's when we meet Leech. Yep. He'll become a the somewhat... The first appearance of Leech is, uh, he looks very different. Yeah, he'll go through some then, some character redesigns as he goes on. He kind of looks like E.T. With a bigger, rounder head. Yeah. He looks like E.T. from the front with a big, impossible man head. So he, he heads off to go find a healer. Who's Joe? I don't think we ever learned who Joe is. I was wondering that myself. Joe, our Joe. baby... Our baby bride has gotten herself a bit must make her presentable. Then bring her to Mask so we don't ever get to see Joe. But uh, Kitty is brought in front of Mask and Mask is like, hmm, I'm going to play with this face. Mask is Yoda? <laughs> I don't know what Mask is. He's probably more like this, angry at the world for what he's done. I don't understand this whole scene. Presto, you can look like me, or Callisto, or Caliban. Ha, real cute. This is pretty, Kitty. Face suits you. Or would you prefer Storm? No. Bothers you, huh? Thought you were you and she were a real lovey-dovey little girl and her mom. No problem. You can always look like nothing at all. And she ta he takes her face away. Which is got to be terrifying. Yeah. Well, what don't you get about this? I mean, I think Mask is just a screwed up individual who takes pleasure at, at screwing up other people's faces. What I don't get about this is why did Callisto send Kitty Pride to Mask? That is a really good question, because the only reason she would do that would be to make Kitty fit in with the rest of the Morlocks by screwing up her face. But as we see, Callisto interrupts... Um, masks little fun time and, and he makes a big mess out of kitty's face it's, yeah it, he, he he makes it into like it looks like a big melty mess yeah and he's, that would have been a cool cover that would that would have sold some books callisto because then we wouldn't have known it was kitty that, ah, i'm a genius <laughs> you are adam you and me we can collaborate and write the revision of this yeah Callisto comes in and she's like, that's enough. You had your fun. Put her back the way she was. So then Mask is like, ah, fine, and fixes her. So you're right. There was actually no purpose whatsoever in Kitty being brought in front of Mask. Yeah. Go get fixed up by Mask and then go get changed back to the way you were. It, it just, it's, it's like filler that, you know, it's neat because of all the things that Mask 
does to her, but it the way that they wrote it, it serves no purpose. Well, earlier he says, you become Morlock, you get new face if you like, whole new body. Why? Because we're outlaws, outcasts, this symbolizes rejection. So I think that was the original intent was like, mess him up or mess her up. So she looks like us. But then ultimately, Callisto's like, nah, never mind. Leave her alone. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. Make her pretty again. She can't breathe. Fix her before she chokes. And then she's back to normal. So they take her up onto the stage and they're about to get married. Callisto's up there with her book. They got uh, Caliban and Kitty standing in front of her. She starts reading. Um, Most of us are here because we had nowhere else to go. Society didn't give us a choice. We became outcasts in spirit long before we ever heard of the word mutant. But I didn't think she had it in her, but the kid's going to do it. Yep. Good job. Good job, kid. Do we know what Callisto's powers are? The Power of not having an eye. Ah. I can see like I have two eyes, even though I have just the one eye. <laughs> she has a mutant patch. Yes. She's a she's a heck of a rocker. She's probably got a super cool Morlock band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. So she says, if uh, uh, I hear any objections to our pretty kitty or this wedding, speak now or forever hold your peace. Callisto! What? I do, says Storm. Uh, Kitty's okay, says Rogue. Uh, but then who's the girl in the morgue? Wolverine says, let's find out. Wolverine's about to fly off the handle, but Storm orders him back. No, Wolverine, I lead the Morlocks. Leave this to me. And Kitty tries to stop her, but Storm isn't listening. Storm is Storm is really angry at Callisto, and she, she knocks her up into the air with some weather, and then that's when Callisto says, leech! Nail the weather witch. And that's when Leech shows up. They tussle. We learn more about how Leech's power is, disables other mutants' powers. Yeah, uh, Leech is a pretty cool character. We'll learn a lot more about him as we go on. Yes. I uh, like Adam, I, I have some news for you. You saw Star Wars Episode Eight. I did. Uh, I got an early uh, seating of it. Cool. Looks awesome. Uh, Callisto possesses enhanced senses of sight, including night vision, hearing, smell, taste, and touch, and possibly moderate degrees of enhanced strength and agility. It has also been suggested that her mutant power grants her tactical brilliance that allows her to see the best way to engage in any given conflict. Huh. So there you go. Okay. I don't know that we've ever seen... I've never seen that, though, in a comic. I guess we've seen her heightened senses that time that Kitty was phasing through the wall and she spotted her. Yeah. Anyways. So, um, Storm is down. Callisto is jumping towards her. And that's when uh, Rogue and Wolverine fly in. Storm's in trouble. Rogue, don't go near Leech. He must be why I couldn't phase. Physical contact isn't necessary. Close proximity is all he needs to affect you. But too, he, they don't listen and they fall to the ground. Too late, they fall to the ground. Callisto and Storm are tussling. And uh, Storm's like, I don't. Uh, I needed no powers to beat you before. And I was a gentler woman then. Um, Wolverine comes up and he pops his claws. And he's like, these are mechanical. I don't need powers. Except for the skin they just ruptured through. Oh, God, I'm bleeding to death. <laughs> My healing factor is gone. <laughs> I'm feeling woozy and lightheaded. Ugh. Yeah, this is uh, one of the first times that, you know, Wolverine loses his powers. This will happen many times. 
All, but, uh, always with varying uh, degrees of differences. Right. The more developed we understand Wolverine's past, the more we learn about, you know, adamantium, poisoning, that sort of thing. None of that is in the play right now. Nope. They're just considering that he's got claws, so they should still work. <laughs> Absolutely. Never mind the fact that they come out of his skin. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of the Morlocks are like, we need to help him. No, but Leech is over there. Never liked that miserable bugger anyways. If we get too close, we'll lose our powers too. My power is being ugly. So Wolverine is, uh, I think, about to stab Callisto maybe, but uh, Kitty jumps in and she's like, No, sheath your claws. Why are you giving me grief, Pumpkin? We've come to rescue you. What if I want to get married? Kind of, sort of. <laughs> or is this, or is this, <laughs> I couldn't choose my right voice there. Or is this just a convenient excuse to bash in some skulls, you jerk face? So she admits that this is all her fault. It's all her responsibility, and it's up to her to resolve the situation. Everybody go home, fix Colossus. The Morlocks are going to send a healer. Well, this is everybody, everybody, even Kitty gets to go home. Well, uh, but, right. but, the, but the wedding... Is they're gonna go fix Colossus first, but then Kitty is like, "I'm, I'm coming back. I'm gonna marry him. That's the deal." Kitty, X Men. Kitty, forgive me. Hi, says Storm. Callisto fills in the blanks. Lost your temper happens to the best of us. So she's just manipulating Callisto or Storm right there, which is honestly not that effective. I mean, Storm has already been going through all this. Yeah, I wanted to kill Callisto. I still do. Oh, more of the same. <laughs> yes, pretty much. So, Nameless Healer, who I think we do get to see again in the pages of the X-Men, comes to the mansion, and uh, uh, he... How does this work? Oh, he... Uh, it's an interesting plan. Rogue uses her powers to absorb Colossus's powers, and as Colossus shifts to human form, the Healer heals Peter. I've shied, I've I've shied away from people whose powers involve major physical transformations like Angel or Nightcrawler because I wasn't sure what that change would do to me. I like my looks the way they are. The Except for that time y'all made me kiss Impossible Man. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Jerks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the professor is monitoring the situation the whole time, apparently augmenting her abilities with his own. I don't know what good that's going to do, but whatever. Yeah, I, I don't... This plan... So, okay, so Rogue is going to absorb Colossus's powers. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. Which will force Colossus to re re revert to human. That makes sense. But how does that get rid of the mountain of rubble that he is lying in from a logical standpoint? Well, I don't know. The way that this is drawn, he's like fused to that rock. Uh, so using your logic... When he comes out of this, his legs, his fleshy legs would also be fused to the rock. But that's kind of icky and gross. So basically what we're saying is that the only part of him that is fused is his metallic skin. And that if we take away the metallic skin, he'll be fine underneath except for all of the scars and stuff. I guess so. It's weird. Uh, but the healer is able to fix all of the scars and uh, basically... Get Peter back to uh, his old self. But wait, 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 wait. Go back a page. Okay. You see all these people standing around together? Yes. Callisto is tall. <laughs> she's, she's, well, so. She's is practically the, twice the size of Wolverine. 
She's in the foreground, Adam. She's not that much in the foreground. They're kind of all on the same level. The healer guy is like three times the size of Nightcrawler. Yeah, but he's a he's a healer. He can be that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a perspective problem here. Yeah, it's not a good shot. So uh, they're basically setting up the fact that Peter's going to be out of uh, out for the count for a little bit, um, and then we move on. Storm. Uh, well, Storm comments as Rogue. Uh, not only pulls away the the powers of Colossus, but also his frozenness. Uh, so she's now a rock creature now, and she thinks to herself, "Goddess, the poor child, whatever her past, this has earned her place with us." And I would like to point out that we do not see Rogue again for the rest of this issue. So do they just like leave Rogue there until it wears a wears off? Yeah, there's only two pages left of the comic, Adam. Yeah, but like, who heals Rogue? Well, she doesn't need healing because she's uh, near invulnerable. (laughs) So the next... I'm fine with that, but I wish there had been something that said why it's okay for us to leave Rogue's last panel as her stuck in stone. I just, that's all I wanted. Well, you know, I would argue, and it's not clear by this comic, but it will be made clear by future comics, that she did not absorb his wounds she would have only absorbed his powers now it does look right. like she's in pain here to be sure so the, the the stress is almost unendurable the pain unimaginable yeah look i i think that they are um telling us that she is absorbing his powers and his wounds and i'm telling you that well she's not absorbing his wounds because that's why the healer is there well but look she's all cracked and stuff right so I think that's what they're going for. And then she's, it looks like she's frozen in stone in that third panel. But we know, we've seen Storm absorb Colossus's powers in the future. She, you know, she, but that's, that's, that's different. Right. Because it, right now he's been heated white hot and enveloped in near absolute zero cold. Yeah, but I guess, the, I guess she, the thing is like, they're really expecting us to understand what this means. And I really don't understand what this means. Well, I mean, if you really want to think about it like that, I mean, to me, it seems like they're trying to say that she's absorbing his powers and his wounds. And if that's the case, then why doesn't she just always do this? <laughs> I, I don't think she's absorbing his wounds. But look I at the she's... imagery. She's She's got all the cracks in her face and her arms. Well, right. But those are wounds that are being caused by absorbing Colossus's powers. So in effect, she's absorbing his powers and his wounds. Well, no, she's absorbing his powers, but his powers are causing her to have her own wounds in the the same way that his powers caused him to have those wounds. What she is absorbing is the the, the organic steel that has been heated white hot and, and then frozen, which is causing her to have similar wounds, but he still has his wounds, which is pointed out by the moment Peter Rasputin becomes human, blood pours from scores of wounds and that's when the healer steps in and heals all of those wounds yeah i don't know now now the fact that rogue is invulnerable maybe her wounds aren't nearly as bad or or maybe when she recovers the healer heals him too it would have been nice to have seen that or to have had something to explain that but whatever yeah. Well, anyways, the next day on the corner of 72nd Street and Central Park West, Ilana and Kitty are saying their farewells. Kitty has written a letter to Peter and a letter to her mom and dad. 
I gave my word, Leanna. What am I? What am I? If it means nothing, Wolfie would understand. It's a matter of honor. Oh, it's not fair. So she goes down into the subways. She meets up with Caliban, and Caliban is like, "Oh, Caliban thinks you're so pretty." <laughs> <laughs> he means it too. He really does care. You look so sad. I know you've only been down here for five minutes, and it was dark when you came down here. But do you miss the sun? <laughs> More than you can ever know. Oh. Your world is mine, and your life—who knows? With a little luck, maybe we'll live happily ever after. Not. Perhaps, but we won't find out today. Go away, everyone. The wedding is canceled. Is that Rocksteady and Bebop? <laughs> kind of looks like it. <laughs> right before they were uh, transformed. Mm. Go away, everyone. Caliban releases Kitty Pride from her vow. She is free to go. Caliban understands that he did not before. Your place is in the sun, not in the shadows. For all that Caliban loves you, to force you to this side would be wrong. Does Kitty Pride love Caliban? Oh. <laughs> Rats. Caliban's love is so strong it makes him crazy. He thinks he must let you leave and hopes that someday you will return of his own free will. He's been reading sad poetry. <laughs> All right, well. If, if you love something, let it go, for those of you who didn't get the reference. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> um, here's a flower. Whenever you look at it, think of me as a kindly person but not a monster. I'm a prince. Think of me. Think of me as that prince that you saw in your flashback that wasn't real that I somehow know about. Yes, that is Caliban, weird prince guy. So You're excited by him. Callisto's plan to manipulate Kitty, get revenge on Storm, backfired. Oh well. Don't want. In the back of this comic is an ad for Masters of the Universe, the video game. Do you have it? No, but I think I should look into it because it looks super sweet. It doesn't say what it's for. It's it's. Oh wait, there it is. The Intellivision and the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Okay, it, uh, it looks all right. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> it's the first Masters of the Universe video game, but it could be the last for He Man. Rogue answers the letter pages. I don't remember if there's anything good. So yeah, there there you go. Uh, all right. Star Wars Episode 7. Man, you shouldn't... Oh, can't even imagine all the wonderful things that happened in that. The fact that they brought back Owen Lars and made him a Sith Lord was like, whoa, where did that come from? Everybody's already seen it, Jeremy. You realize that, right? I know, but I just can't stop talking about it. Our whole fan base. So we don't we don't have to spoil anything. Like It's already been spoiled because they already saw it. We can talk about it all we want, Adam. The whole fact that it turns out that R2-D2 was behind the scenes uh, controlling the Emperor, controlling the Force, controlling everything, that there is no real Force. It's just droid mechanics. That was amazing. My mind was blown. Adam, you are such a fool. If you can't see the subtle undertones that that was a manipulative trick, then I don't know what kind of Star Wars fan you are. That is what you are supposed to think. But episode eight is going to change all of that. You're supposed to think that that's what you're supposed to think and really think the other thing, but it's actually the truth, Jeremy. Well, that's what they want you to think, but they are some really good writers in that Star Wars. Oh, no, man. They want you to think that that's what you're supposed to think. No, 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 no. They want the people who think they're little movie snob critics to think what you think that they're thinking, but 
that's not the way it was. I don't know, man. That scene when R2 killed C-3PO, that was intense. I cried. Yeah, that happened. But but that has nothing to do with the whole puppetry thing. That's something totally different. Uh, we we got a number of comments uh, from a guy named Ion. Yeah, he's he's been uh, working his way up through the... I don't know if he's caught up yet. Probably not. He's left, uh, let's see, looks like five comments on episode... 42, he says, these are all pretty short. We're only in it in the money is the best Frank Zappa Mothers and the Mothers album. We must, we must have been talking about that in that episode. There was an advertisement in that particular comic book for that album. Oh, okay. Is that your favorite one? No. I don't. I'm, I mean, I'm aware of Frank Zappa's material and I have heard Frank Zappa's material, but I'm not a fan by any means. And it's not that I'm not a fan. I just never really got into him. Oh, okay. And now he's dead, right? So, <laughs> uh, but the one that I wanted to address was uh, the last one that he put on the Fall of Tower. I don't remember what we were saying in this particular book, but somehow it referenced. I think that X Factor story arc when they're in space takes place before Inferno because I'm not sure. I'm sure the whole story was filler that they needed to have in order to synchronize the magazine to the rest of the X titles for the Inferno crossover, and that could very well be. Um, I just have no idea what we said to bring about that comment. So it's fun to review the past. And honestly, I, I do remember some of the space stuff. There was a big celestial storyline with X-Factor. And I don't really remember if that was before or, X-Fact- before or after Inferno, but I remember it being really boring. It was like six <laughs> issues long, too. I remember one that I think came later that was also equally boring where they – Travel to some other world and... That's the one I'm talking about. Oh, is it? Maybe there was... I thought that happened after Inferno. I did too, but... Wait, which one's Inferno? I don't know. I get Inferno and... Inferno is the one with the Goblin Queen. The the, the Slaughter of the Mutant one, that one... What is it? The Mutant Massacre? Fall of the Mutants, the Mutant Massacre. Yeah, I get them all confused. Yep. He also points out that Sauron comes from Soria, which is the scientific Latin name from lizards. Hmm. Or for lizards. That would have been good to know. Yeah. Instead of all that other stuff. Lord of the Rings garbage. Yeah. But they fed us. Lies. We got a comment from Eric. Um, and from episode 136, he says, the supersonic click clip that you must have played, because I don't know who that is, is just another example why this podcast is so entertaining. Your particular brand of story cap, story retelling, storytelling recap and commentary is really done. Is really, I cannot read. <laughs> I'm sorry I butchered your letter. <laughs> Supersonic, Adam, you never spent much time at the roller rink, did you? I guess not. In the mid-80s, mid to late 80s. Supersonic. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It. Oh, it's fantastic. You should look it up. Well, you, 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 I'll just replay this. You should just listen to that episode. <laughs> hey, we're glad we can help you. Uh, I mean, not that we're really helping you, but. We're, we're, we're glad that we can bring you some, uh, hopefully, some smiles. Some supersonic. Some supersonic. John M. Wilson points out that two years ago when we did a podcast discussion of a new X-Men trailer. I'm sorry, not two years ago, two movies ago. Uh, so that would be X-Men First Class. Uh, somebody said, and I think it was me, Mystique is played by Jennifer Lawrence, who apparently hasn't been in anything. <laughs> and then somebody else, maybe me or you, said, I didn't recognize her from the trailer. And so I had to go back because, right, Jennifer Lawrence, to say that now is a little ridiculous, right? Because she's just about everywhere and on everything. 
But I looked back, and uh, I stand by those comments because prior to first class, she was in like some TV shows, and that's about it. So that was her first big role? I think that was her first big breakout role, and the very next year she was in uh, The Hunger Games, and then, you know, on from there. Did you see that uh, Pat Gunter put up a DOS X-Men game? Yeah, I think I responded to that. I didn't watch the clip of the game, but um, I actually have that game in my collection. Oh, you do? That's what I was asking. I have. So I have uh, Madness and Murder World, which is the first one that came out. I've got that one for the Commodore 64, and then I've got The Fall of the Mutants for MS-DOS. But I don't have any five and a quarter inch disk drives to play the Fall of the Mutants one, so... If I if I ever get around to like doing a little review thing, that that's going to be a challenge. You better get on that. Eh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have infinite time, Adam. Sure, you do. What else are you going to do? Yeah. Go watch Star Wars Episode Seven again. Well, yeah, I've got a tickets for every day this week. Oh wow! Twice. That's serious business. Uh, there's so many layers in that movie that you can't take it all in. In one, two, three, or even ten sittings, there's there's just so much content, but it's skillfully woven together so that you're not overwhelmed. What did you think of the reveal that Han Solo and Indiana Jones are technically the same person and from the same lineage? I couldn't believe it, Adam. You know, Harrison Ford, I didn't know what was going on. He he swung over that pit with his lasso or his whip, and I was like, what? Is That's weird. And then a boulder came after him, and I was like, no way. And then he put the hat on, and I was like, get out of here. And then, yeah, he, he said Han is, is like Swahili for Indy. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, I think that was about it for letters this week. Indeed. Uh, so if you'd like to join in and maybe tell us what you thought of Star Wars episodes, I mean, uh, the X-Men, uh, you can do so by emailing us at w, or, uh, Red Cat, what are we? Danger Room at redcatproductions.com. Go to our webpage, www.xmenpodcast.com. Or we're at facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. Or you can get us on your internet radios through Stitcher. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Just go in there to the podcast section. Type in Danger Room. We're literally the first podcast that will show up. Subscribe, leave feedback, etc., what have you. And if you'd like to hear your luscious voice recreated on this podcast, leave us a voicemail at 501-GET-X-MEN. And the for Christmas sure. message that's been there for two years will actually make sense. Well, not by the time you hear this episode. <laughs> this will come up before Christmas, Adam. Star Wars just happened. It's like the oh. 22nd or 23rd right now. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Yep, it's still valid. Yep. And we totally saw Star Wars a lot already. <laughs> many, many, many times. Oh, I can't even believe how many times I saw it. It was amazing how they were able to recreate Alec Guinness. It didn't even look like CGI. Uh, the CGI has come a long way. Uh, like a really long way. It was nice that they got Ewan McGregor to revoice him too. Yeah. It's, it's good consistency. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about New Mutants 13. Yeah, New Mutants number 13. It's got Kitty on the front. It does. And Cannonball is all yelling at her as she's phasing through a tree. And he's all like, forget it, Kitty. You're not good enough for us ex-babies. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty's crying and running away. She's like, you guys, I was just about married a Morlock. 
And already in the uh, the faces thing in at the top left hand corner, magma is there. Oh, I get this feeling that Shan's not coming back ever. Like they were all like. You know, Professor was kind of certain that she wasn't really dead, but he didn't want to tell the New Mutants. But they've just dropped that storyline like it doesn't matter at all. What was Shan's code name? Uh, you don't even remember. No, That's a- I don't remember. <laughs> Shan Koi Man. Yeah, it was just Shan. She didn't have a code name? Was she the one no, that no. could control people? Yes. Uh, yeah, she she had the most useful power. I wouldn't, Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll have to, you'll, I'm sure she'll come back. They never lose a character permanently. It, it's been, it's, it's weird, but yeah, I, I, I'm assuming she'll come back, but not for a while. Cause I've kind of scanned ahead. <laughs> yeah. I read a little bit of uh new mutants number 12. So I'm, I'm, I'm all caught up in the whole magma thing. Oh, good. So you don't have to explain that to me. And I'm, I'm sure you explained that last podcast. I probably did. Yep. Uh, oh. So yeah, magma gets introduced to the professor. They're all back. I wish and, uh, I wish it would have said, "Welcome to the X Men, Magma. Hope you survive." Oh yeah, they should have. <laughs> Instead, the title is "School Days," which is all spelled D A Y S Z E. I I don't understand it. Day days ah, yeah. I don't know. It's like a it's like a mixture of the word days and days. I got that like, part, Adam. But I don't. I'm in. I guess it's, it's also a mixture of. Days, days, and das. I guess if you think about it, I don't. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you you take it, take 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 it away, Adam. I I know there's like some soda pop that explodes, and uh, they all get mad at each other and stuff. And magma opens up some some. Tell me if I'm going ahead of the. Well, the professor, uh, they're they're introducing magma to the the place, the uh, the mansion, and she they they made a room up to look just like her and or her her room back in Rome, her Nova Roma, and they have a cook off, and they're cooking some hot dogs and hamburgers, and she gets all dressed up, and Cannonball's got a crush on her, and ends up dropping some stuff on her, and yeah, I don't care about any of this until we get to page nine, so keep going. <laughs> um. Yeah, let's see. So <laughs> she magma runs off into the woods after causing a minor earthquake. Um, they chase after her, and then we cut to interlude the ho- the headquarters complex of the federal government's Project Wide Awake. This which is this evening have come its director Henry Peter Gyrich, Doctor Valerie Cooper, and billionaire industrialist Sebastian Shaw. Oh my God! Three prominent characters in the mighty Marvel mutant universe. You know who should have played Sebastian Shaw? Sebastian Shaw? No, that's not a real person. Yes, it is. He played the original uh, Anakin Skywalker, which you'd know if you watched the credits of Episode Seven. Oh wait, that's that was spelled differently though. Whatever. <laughs> Um, Will Ferrell. Oh, Will. look at Sebastian Shaw in this yeah. shot. If he could, if he could play a role serious, uh, he he would make a good Sebastian Shaw. Yeah, I I would. Yeah, I would have got. I would get behind that casting. They would have to. Well, you know, they don't even dye their hairs anymore. They just they just let them go. They right. wouldn't. Yeah, but yes, he would have. Uh, he would. He would have made a good Sebastian Shaw. Much better than Kevin Bacon. As much as I like Kevin Bacon as an actor, eh, he just wasn't. He wasn't my Sebastian Shaw. He seemed like he didn't really know what he was doing. Uh, no. Well, I mean, it's such a. You have. To, I mean, it's not a deep cut Marvel villain, but it's it's not Magneto, right? So, I mean, 
he had probably had no idea what this character was all about and read the script and was like, meh, I'm Kevin Bacon. I can do this. <laughs> That's not a comic book movie. I hope it makes me like a lot of money. <laughs> this is like a Dr. Doom role, right? Well, not really. <laughs> he doesn't know who Dr. Doom is. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyways, uh, they have a sentinel in their presence. It's It's one of the New Mutants special gray and blue ones. Yeah, these Sentinels don't go after the X-Men. Only New Mutants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, there's something, this guy has some AI or something. There's something special about him, but I don't remember what it is. They um, they talk about how the irony of Shaw being there is that he is a mutant and nobody realizes it and that Sentinels hunt mutants and oh my gosh. So they, I was Sebastian Shaw. I'd be a little worried about being around Sentinels. Wouldn't they be like, there is a mutant amongst you, exterminate. Yeah, he turns into a Dalek. I'm assuming that, I mean, Sebastian Shaw's company is the one that's producing these Sentinels, so I'm sure that there's some code that prevents him from being detected. Okay. Or he has, like, a mutant inhibitor field device on his person at all times, something. But, yeah, the mutant, they initiate the uh, uh, Sentinel test sequence. The Sentinel fires himself up, starts walking around, but then... He goes out of control and starts malfunctioning. He's smashing stuff up and uh, they can't shut him down. So they've got no choice but to resort to the self-destruct. He says, Sentinel, Sentinel smash. (laughs) And he smashes to the wall. And so, yes, Henry Peter Gyrick initiates the self-destruct sequence and the Sentinel blows up. Henry Peter Gyrick is like, this was $5 million Sentinel and an attack on the federal government. I want their heads. And guess who it turns out to be? <gasps> None other than a young Catherine Pride and her new friend, Doug Ramsey. First appearance of Doug Ramsey. Really? Well, uh, we've we've heard of him a few oh. times, but we've never actually seen him before. So Kitty has been in the pages of the New Mutants in the past? No. Oh, all right. This, this comment but kind of makes we, it seem like they've got quite a relationship with the New Mutants. We've seen or we've heard of Doug Ramsey in the pages of the X-Men. We've yes. never seen him before. Okay. So Kitty and Doug were hacking computers. Uh, Doug didn't know exactly what he was hacking, but Kitty apparently knew exactly what she was hacking. Yeah, she... Uh... She 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 she's using Doug for his well she's not really using him but she's uh she's kind of she's really into this uh, she's she's very smart but she likes how smart this guy is too and he's got a real talent for uh, communicating with computers so she's kind of using him in order to uh, hack into the government and figure out what they're doing so she's the hardware person and he's the software person. Actually, she was trying to get him to uh, hack into Shaw Industries, and that ended up being what took them into the government, which they didn't. neither of them expected would happen. Uh, and he says, from there we will make our way into the Hellfire Club. I think I decipher Shaw's private executive code. <laughs> but the first time we try it, we don't access club or corporation but some kind of government system weird does this mean shaw and the government are working together do they know who and what he really is or is he playing them for suckers so is she doing this just because or is she still got an axe to grind against uh emma frost well i think emma frost 
is they the X-Men know that she's out of commission. So I think she's just doing this on behalf of the X-Men to try to figure out what's going on with the Hellfire Club. Okay. Well, they're hungry, so they're going to go get some sandwiches and some chips and stuff. And they're talking and, I don't know, getting on pretty well. Yeah, they're, they're, they feel like they're a good team. Yep. They're good buddies. They really like each other. And then she's got to go. Kitty's I like, gotta run! She's got to run to her dance class, but as she's running to the dance class, the professor interrupts and says, Return to the mansion immediately! Kitty's like, Okay, here I come! So she runs back to the mansion, but as she does, she runs into Magma, starts trying to have a conversation with Magma, but she's all like, I don't need your assistance. I won't be left by myself. She's my age. Sounds awfully lonely. I remember how homesick I was. You sure there's nothing I can do? Are you deaf, girl? Did you not hear what I said? I want to be alone. And her hair starts on fire. Okay. No. There's no need to get hyper. <laughs> yes. Yes, spaz. So, Whenever I try to talk to someone my own age, I screw it up. Outside the X-Men, I don't seem to fit anywhere. Except with Doug. But, but where does that leave my friendship and my relationship with Peter Rasputin? I love Peter. Suppose I start to love Doug, too. How confusing would that be? Oh, and then she runs into the new mutants who are like, Hey, we heard about what you called us. It's like, what are you doing in the woods? And they're just like looking after our own. So by looking after their own, they're kind of like waiting. (laughs) We're standing here waiting for magma. And don't call us ex-babies. You're you're a baby. (laughs) So we've never actually heard Kitty call the New Mutants ex-babies. Well, we have in the pages of the X-Men. Oh, okay. When, when, the, when the professor put her on the team momentarily, she was like, I don't want to join the ex-babies. Catherine, I will brook no further delay. Report to my office. And that's when Roberto says, Kitty may be a pain, Danny, but I wouldn't be in her shoes now for the world. Kitty arrives at the professor's office. The professor's like, you're an X-Man. Try to act like one. <laughs> this isn't the first time you've missed uh, your session. But, the, the danger room is very important. But I was with Doug, and we got carried away, and then dance class, and then the x I mean, New Mutants, you know, stuff happens. The professor talks about the idiotic feud between him and the New Mutants, which kind of doesn't really exist, but, you know, yeah. it does now. It does now. It's a thing. They may be, uh, novices they may be, but hardly ex-babies, especially when two of them are older than you. Yeah. Take that, kitty. Is that all, sir? Think back on how you felt when you first realized who and what you were, the excitement and the terror. Help the mutants. Perhaps in doing so, you'll be better. You'll be better able to come to terms with your own darn self. Try. If you want me, I'll be in my room. So she goes to her room. The professor's like, all these problems and all these issues. Stupid Amara getting cold. New mutants are just standing 20 feet away from her. He references that issue of Marvel Team Up that I talked about with Cloak and Dagger, where the uh, where Roberto and Rain were pumped with drugs. Yep, and they 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 still have. He he's been meaning to schedule medical examinations for him for them but you would think that would be more important but he keeps putting it off oh things just keep coming up like uh this telepathic presence of lilandra hey aren't you in space (laughs) actually he's just thinking about lilandra 
Oh. That's when he has a scanning wave. Again, it erupts from nowhere without, 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 oh, there's a typo. Without, without warning to disappear as suddenly as it arrived. First felt in X-Men number 178. Wait, wasn't it X-Men 179? Either that's a mistake or we missed it. Huh, I don't remember that occurring he, in 178. He did get blasted by something in 178, but didn't it turn out to be Mystique? Maybe that's what we're supposed to assume, but maybe it was this other presence. And Mystique yeah, okay. just took advantage of that. That could be as well. Not clearly explained, but whatever. So he, he's going to uh, devote all of his energies to solving this mystery. But if I do, who look after the students? Oh, crap. My obligations bind me as tightly as Kitty. That, that's a weird sentence. <laughs> Until I'm certain this represents a threat, I will keep on as before. Then we cut to computer class the next day. Who says, oh, Amara, she's like, this is magic. I press a square and a letter appears in the class before me. Honored teacher, will you explain what kind of sorcery is this? <laughs> and this is where the professor is reading the uh, Rain's mind. Amara is a barbarian, a heathen savage, but she gets the hang of these gadgets faster than me. It's time I face facts. I'm as stupid as I am ugly. And that's where it, her, her thought balloons transfer over to the... The professor's, and he's like, how can Rain think that? It just isn't so. Why am I in her head like this? I said I would never do this. What's wrong with me? Yeah. The new mutants go through dance class. Uh, Rain gets a little bit too far into it and turns into a werewolf. and Everyone gets mad at her, and they're like, how could you do that? People might see you. Gah. That's when Kitty tries to step to her defense and just like, I, I used to do stuff like that, you know. Every so often. Cool it, Sam. It's only natural to want to show off every once in a while. Heck, Pride, you do that just by breathing. Oh, brother. Says Doug Ramsey, who just shows up. Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to insult this girl that I like. It wasn't so long ago, Rain. I got yelled at by Aurora for the same kind of stunt. Some of us have to learn to survive. Let's learn the hard way, but we all survive. Doug invites Kitty out for a soda, and off they go. Mm Mm-hmm. And we get a danger room session uh, where Magma has decided that she doesn't like the fact that the tele the, the professor can read minds telepathically. She doesn't really she doesn't really trust him. He's because he, he wants to monitor her the usage of her powers in this session, and he, she doesn't like it. So she says she's going to quit, and so she quits. And then she sneaks downstairs in the middle of the night because she's telling them she's going to tell the professor that she's doesn't want to be there and she she uh overhears a communication with the professor and lalandra what are her and lalandra talking about because it seems like nothing uh yeah you know they're just talking about there's this this will be the last conversation because lalandra's going off to war and the professor says now i know how moira mctaggart felt the day i went off to war and left her behind when I returned, everything had changed. The love we felt no longer existed. That may yet happen to us. You'll have to come back to find out. Okay. <laughs> Farewell, my love. Farewell, well, my heart. Amara feels bad for catching that, but uh, the professor's like, yeah, you know, can't change anything about it. Yeah, what are you going to do? But he's. she asks why he doesn't go after her, and he's like, well, I got responsibilities. I got you kids. And she's just like, I got responsibilities too, and my responsibility is to to take over my to to learn to learn how to control my powers and she decides to stay she says have you ever failed with a student and he's like yes all, all, yeah. the, all the time 
Like like pretty much all of them. I'm failing with you right now. But that will never stop me trying. Next issue. Do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart? You'll always have a friend wearing big red shoes. Oh, wait. That was a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> yeah, I read, I read Dazzler, Adam. I thought there was more Doug Ramsey, but I guess that's the next issue. Tell me about Dazzler. I'm pretty excited about this one. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The shining I, superstar Dazzler. I skimmed this one. As well. And very quickly, because there was nothing relevant about it. It's got an excellent cover. It's a painted cover. You got a dude, uh, who I actually don't know who this dude is, uh, and then Dazzler on the side, crashing into a skull wave. Not a skull wave. It's a skull wave. Dazzler's uh, agent, Harry Osgood, has booked her uh, a... Um, some time on a real movie set where she witnesses a stunt performed by a guy whose name I can't remember. Oh, wait, it's Bill. And her <laughs> and Bill, like, hit it off almost instantly. She's good looking. He's cute. Um, so, you know, they might go out on a date at some point. But right now, Dazzler's got to find an apartment because she's moving to L.A. because she's going to jumpstart this uh, this movie career of hers. So she meets a couple that's got an apartment to rent, and they're like, we love actors and all sorts of people, only one sort of people we don't like, and that's mutants. And she's like, oh, brother. But, uh, you know, they don't know she's a mutant. So she goes upstairs, and for some reason, even though she's got a fully furnished apartment with coffee brewing on the stove, she doesn't have uh, electricity. So she's using her powers to read the want ads which is a little weird. She gets a job as a dance instructor, and as she's leaving the dance instructor area, uh, Bill shows up, and he's like, hey, good looking. I got a couple more pickup lines. That's his thing. It's just a bunch of pickup lines. And she's oh, that's like, right. That's what this issue yeah. is about. I remember this issue now. And then she's like, oh, I, I don't have time, blah, blah, blah. And then she thinks to herself how cute she is, he is, and she goes home, and Harry Osgood's like, look, you're in L.A., I'm in New York, I can't be your agent anymore, so go find a new agent. So basically exit Harry Osgood, Lance, and the jealous receptionist. We don't need them anymore. <laughs> the door, somebody knocks on the door, leaves flowers, she thinks it's Bill, so then she uh, she goes, does her dance class thing, she meets up with Bill, and finally he wears her down as any good man does, and she accepts a date with him. So they go out on a date. It takes him out to another movie set. It's very exciting. And uh, afterwards, um, she says, come on over for dinner. She makes him dinner. He comes over. They're getting snuggly on the couch. And he wants to go in for a makeout session. But she's kind of like, eh, not quite ready for this whole thing. And he gets all mopey. And he's like, you don't like me. This is a story of my life. I'm going to go. And she's like, no, no, it's not you. It's me. And I'm just not ready for this. And he's like, all right, well, let's just go for a walk. But instead of going for a walk, they jump into their car uh, and a big rainstorm has started up and everybody is going the opposite direction of Bill and Dazzler. Uh, they don't really know why. So Bill asks one of his neighbors who's in a car. And they're like, yeah, it's a monsoon is coming this way. And he's like, monsoon or no tsunami and they're like it's a tidal wave because apparently they're painting this guy to be really stupid so they head off to the the house and dazzler's like we're going the wrong way and he's like no let me tell you about my life when i was a kid i was poor and we didn't have a house so when i got older i became rich and i got myself a house so i gotta go to my house 
And they go to his house and it's wonderful. It's amazing. But, oh, there's a tsunami. Don't forget about the tsunami. Um, he goes in for another kiss and she, she, now she's just about worn down to the point that she's going to fall for it. But then she's like, we, we got to go. We're going to die. And she opens up the door and there's water everywhere. And, and he's like, I'm going to stay here and go down with my house. This is all I've ever wanted. But three panels later, he's like, wait. I changed my mind. But then she is like, oh, I can't leave Bill behind. So she turns around to go get Bill. So Bill's outside. Dazzler's inside. Can't find Bill. A giant tsunami is about to wash away the house when she decides to suck up all of the noise of the storm and the tidal wave and cast a huge dazzle blast at the tsunami, splitting it in half, essentially causing the tsunami to completely miss his house but go everywhere but his house. She gets pushed away by the tsunami wave. Bill sees that part, goes down to the beach, picks her up, brings her back to the house, makes her some hot cocoa, and is like, I've been a jerk, and I've been all about myself and my possessions, and last night made me realize that I want to work on myself. So one day I'd like to date you, but right now I got lots of fixing up of myself to do. So let's be friends. And, uh... So she walks off to the sunset, and uh, yeah, that will exit a couple of characters from the comic, and it will also exit uh, Frank Springer, who, as you will recall, was the writer, scripter, penciler, uh, and is now the penciler, and next issue will not be affiliated with the book anymore. Oh, wow. Thus ending the Frank Springer saga. Isn't Frank Springer also the name of the wizard? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> so, yeah, the Dazzler, the good news is, Adam, there's only 10 more issues of Dazzler left. And a graphic novel. Yeah, you know, I started thumbing through that graphic novel. That's that's going to be a bad day when I have to read that thing. <laughs> it looks so long. And if you thought that was like trite romance crap, ugh, the graphic novel looks even worse. I thought this issue was okay. I mean, I kind of only skimmed the end, but... You know, there are some there are some interesting concepts being brought up. Eh, tell me about Defenders. I'm going to tell you about Alpha Flight. Oh, all right. I mean, Alpha because um, we I don't have much to say about it to be honest. They, we get the uh, the the Aurora and North Star, the second half of last issues, uh, crimes mobster saga, where they're helping a couple of uh, a couple of people are getting shake 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 down shaken down. By a mobster who is also has a mysterious death touch. It's like a mutant power or something. Is it? Um, is it? Is it like the cheese touch? What's the cheese touch? Oh, you don't have kids, do you? No. <laughs> Never mind. Why is that? A, is that a thing like every parent knows? So if I go to anybody who has a kid, I'd be like, "Hey, you got the cheese touch?" And they'd be like, <laughs> "They'd know what I was talking about." Yeah, if the kids, you know, four to five years uh, of age or older, probably. Okay. Well, what if what if they have like an eight year old? Would they be like, "Oh yeah, I remember those days." Yep. The days of the cheese touch. Is that still around? They'd say. <laughs> yep. Anyways, carry on with your cheese touch. Uh, okay. Um, there's also another character that I think is only seen in this issue ever. But remember when you used to draw Zippo? I do. And and I had characters too. Yep. And uh, we we developed this kind of character that was this sort of Spider-Man kind with the with the big um um triangular eyes and it it was very much kind of a, a rip-off of Deadpool and all the sorts of stuff that was going on at the time. Sure. 
Sure. Well, apparently it all started here because oh. there is a character here whose name I don't remember, but it looks exactly like Spider-Man with those kind of Zippo eyes. Weird. Or triangular eyes that would become uh, very common in in Deadpool and all that stuff. Sure. So this was the origin of Deadpool is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Spawn, Spawn also. Well, you, I mean, you, you got to imagine that uh, um, what Rob Liefeld and uh, Todd McFarlane are probably kids reading the, this stuff at this point. Uh, yeah, Todd McFarlane is Canadian, right? Uh, I don't, maybe, but yeah, is maybe. <laughs> I have no idea, but still, he's probably reading uh, comic books, and you know, these characters leave marks on these people who go on to to create these characters. And but I mean, really, they all kind of became the same in the nineties. Nemesis, that's the character's name. Nemesis. Wow, that's a cool name. So they foil the plot. Um, I guess they don't really ever figure out who Nemesis is. Northstar thinks he knows it is, but it turns out that Aurora knows that it's not the person that uh, Northstar thinks it is. Holy, and um, holy crap! He. He was the leader of Gamma Flight. Nemesis? Yeah. Nem- Nemesis is a woman. She, Yeah, well, she's got a red suit. she got a, like a collar thing, and then she's got spawn eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jane Thorne, leader of Gamma Flight, Marvel Universe Earth 616. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, you know more <laughs> than I do. This was the first appearance of Nemesis, leader of Gamma Flight, which I guess we'll probably learn more about. Well, at any rate, it, it, it looks it like, all... Adam, it looks like there's three iterations of Nemesis. There's Isabel oh. St. Ives, daughter of Deadly Ernest. I don't know who that is. That's also oh, in that's who this. Six. that's who this is, the daughter okay. of, yeah. Then okay. the next is Jane Thorne, Gamma Flight. And then there's Amelia Weatherly, member of uh, uh, Alpha Flight. Also, all three of them in Earth 616. This is the daughter of Deadly Ernest, because Deadly Ernest is the guy with the death touch, or oh. the cheese touch. <laughs> okay. Um, oh and he dies in this issue Uh, his daughter killed him that's sad so it ends with uh, Northstar commenting that he thinks that Aurora probably slept with Ernest St. Ives in order to become like buddy buddy with him and and, uh, Aurora freaks out and is like you a-hole and then she leaves wow (laughs) they basically are no longer (laughs) our partnership is ended we're not buddies. You're a jerk. Crazy. And that's how it ends. Okay. And Defenders number 129 has uh, the new Defenders fighting the new mutants on the cover. It's actually a pretty cool cover. And it opens with the new Defenders fighting the new mutants. There's a there's a big battle. And um, let's see. Lots of fighting. Oh, and then uh, what? what is her name? Val- Valkyrie? Brunhilde? Sure. She slices rain in half. Holy with, crap. With her sword. <laughs> wow. And then the new the new defenders are like, what are you doing? What we're doing is wrong. Let's not kill them. And then uh, turns out the whole thing is, of course, not real. Oh. So they have been kidnapped. Uh, they've been captured by the secret empire and they're all in little ice cubes. And they're being put through these tests in order to kind of break them. And so that they'll they'll be able to get mind controlled. And so they, Professor Power wants the new Defenders to take on the new mutants in an attempt to get back at Professor X. But Moondragon keeps uh, realizing that it's all a farce and waking everybody up. Um, so let's see what happens in this issue. Do, 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 do. 
we learn about his plan, Professor Power's plan, where he is going to start a nuclear war between China and the U.S., but be on both sides and kind of manipulate it and then take over the world. Wow. <laughs> um, let's see. What's this? Oh, Candy Southern shows up. She's back at the uh, in the New Mexican Rockies uh, Angels. Um, I don't know what you would call that. Let's say apartment in the side of a mountain. And uh, chalet. <laughs> she has a heart to heart with the new defenders maid, I guess, about how tough it is to be a partner to Warren, who's always off doing defenders things. Um, a couple of uh, former new defenders enemies help save the cloud person from a couple issues ago, and they in turn help save the new defenders who try to escape. And let's see. And we end the issue with Valkyrie and Moon Dragon on a um, nuclear warhead, which I believe is being launched towards China or Russia or something. Hmm. And they're attempting to save it. Oh, and Professor Power, somebody finally tells Professor Power that his whole stupid scheme of getting back at Professor X is really getting in the way of their attempt to take over the world. Professor Power kills that guy and then is like, yeah, you're probably right. So I better stop that. <laughs> is that the end of the secret service, the secret society? No, no. Professor Power escapes and the secret, uh, the secret uh, society, they, they're going to, uh, they'll be back. Oh. They're, they're around for a couple more issues. Thank goodness. <laughs> There's a big old next issue with guest penciler Mike Zek. And I kind of scanned ahead. The art's really good in that one. All right, then. That's all I got. I got nothing else. Uh, so, yeah, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. The danger room is closed. Thank you, Chewbacca. Star Wars fans outside the Cineplex Lining up one week to wait oh, That's nice Thrilled to see All the brand new effects But most of all Meet BB-8 Goes. Do or do not, there is no try. And dark side Jedi are the words. Jedi is the plural of Jedi, yes. 